Section 1 of National Geographic Magazine, Volume 1, Number 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by M. J. Frank. Africa, Its Past and Future, Part 1, by Gardner Green Hubbard. 1822 to 1897. The National Geographic Magazine, Volume 1, 1889, Number 2. Africa, Its Past and Future. Africa, the oldest of the continents, containing the earliest remains of man and the birthplace of European civilization, is the last to be explored. Long before the temples of India or the palaces of Nineveh were built, before the hanging garden of Babylon was planted, the pyramids of Cheops and Sephron had been constructed, the temples of Palmyra and Thebes filled with worshippers. Greece owes its civilization to Egypt. Its beautiful orders of architecture came from the land of the Nile. The civilization of Egypt had grown old and was in its decay when Rome was born. Think what a vast abyss of time separates us from the days of Romulus and Remus, and yet the pyramids of Egypt were then older by a thousand years than all the centuries that have passed since then. For ages upon ages Africa has refused to reveal its secrets to civilized man and though explorers have penetrated it from every side, it remains today the dark continent. This isolation of Africa is due to its position and formation. It is a vast ill-formed triangle with few good harbors, without navigable rivers for ocean vessels, lying mainly in the torrid zone. A fringe of low-scorched land reeking with malaria, extends in unbroken monotony all along the coast, threatening death to the adventurous explorer. Our ignorance of Africa is not in consequence of its situation under the equator, for South America in the torrid zone has long been known. There the explorer easily penetrates its recesses on its great rivers, the Orinoco, Amazon, and La Plata, for they are navigable from the ocean far into the interior. The Amazon, 3,000 miles from its mouth, is only 210 feet above the ocean level, and with its branches is navigable for 10,000 miles. Africa also has three great rivers, one on each side of this peninsula. On the north, the Nile, the river of the past, empties into the Mediterranean Sea but its navigation is soon interrupted by five cataracts, so that the camel, the ship of the desert, bears the wares of Europe from the foot of the first cataract far up the river, 800 miles to Berber, whence they are again shipped by boat, 2,000 miles to Gondokoro, close to the lakes Albert and Victoria Nianza, 4,000 feet above the sea level, 4,200 miles by water from the Mediterranean. On the west, the Congo, the river of the future, empties into the Atlantic Ocean under the equatorial sun. 
but its navigation is also impeded by successive falls extending from its mouth to Stanley Pool. Then there is almost uninterrupted navigation on the river and its tributaries for ten thousand miles. Far inland the headwaters of its northeastern branches interlace with the waters of the Nile. Another branch rises in Lake Tanganyika in eastern Africa, while the main river finds its source higher up in the mountains, north of Lake Nyasa, five thousand feet above the sea level. On the east, the Zambezi, the great river of southern Africa, empties into the Indian Ocean opposite Madagascar. The navigation of its main branch, the Shire, is interrupted not far from the ocean. The Zambezi itself is navigable to the rapids near Tate, 260 miles from its mouth, while one or two hundred miles higher up are the mighty falls of Victoria, only exceeded in volume of water by the Niagara, and nearly equal in height. In whatever direction Europeans attempted to penetrate Africa, they were met by insurmountable obstacles. Communication by water was prevented by falls near the mouths of great rivers. The greater part of the coast was very unhealthy, and where not unhealthy, a desert was behind it. But these obstacles, which formerly prevented exploration, now stimulate the traveler. The modern explorations of Africa commenced one hundred years ago when Mungo Park crossed the desert of Sahara and lost his life in descending the Niger. From that time to the present, travelers in ever-increasing numbers have entered Africa from every side. Some who have entered from the Atlantic or Pacific coasts have been lost in its wilds, and two or three years after have emerged on the opposite coast. Others have passed from the coast and have never been heard from. Zanzibar has been a favorite starting point for the lake region of Central Africa. Stanley started from Zanzibar on his search for Livingstone with two white men, but returned alone. Cameron set out by the same path with two companions, but upon reaching the lake region he was alone. Keith Johnson, two or three years ago, started with two Europeans. Within a couple of months he was gone. Probably every second man, stricken down by fever or accident, has left his bones to bleach along the road. Drummond, a recent explorer of Africa, chose a route by the Zambezi and Shire rivers as healthier and more desirable. Let us hear his experience. Early in his journey at the missionary station of Livingstonia on Lake Nyanza, he entered a missionary home. It was spotlessly clean. English furniture in the room, books lying about, dishes in the cupboards, but no missionary. He went to the next house. It was the school. The benches and books were there, but neither scholars nor teacher. Next to the blacksmith shop. There were the tools and anvil, but no blacksmith. And so on to the next and the next, all in perfect order, but all empty. A little way off among the mimosa groves under a huge granite mountain were graves. There were the missionaries. The Niger is the only river in all Africa navigable by small steamers from the ocean. 
but the Niger does not give access to the interior, as it rises within one hundred miles of the ocean, and after making a great bend around the mountains of the Guinea coast, empties into the ocean only about five degrees south of its source, after a course of two thousand five hundred miles. Its main branch, the Benu, or Mother of Waters, is navigable five hundred or six hundred miles above its junction with the Niger. The country through which it flows is thickly peopled and well cultivated, but the natives are fierce and warlike, and have until recently prevented any exploration of the Benu. THE MOUNTAINS OF AFRICA as mountain ranges determine the course of rivers, influence the rainfall, and temper the climate, we must understand the mountain system of Africa before we can understand the continent as a whole. Standing on the citadel at Cairo and looking south, you see a sandstone ridge which gradually grows in altitude and width of base as it runs far away to the south, even to the Cape of Good Hope at the other end of Africa. Successive ranges of mountains follow the coast, sometimes near, at others two or three hundred miles inland, the land in the latter case ascending from the coast. The only breaks in this long chain are where the Zambezi and Limpopo force their way to the Indian Ocean. In Abyssinia, on the Red Sea, there is a range of snowy mountains fourteen thousand feet in height. A few hundred miles to the southeast, and near Lake Victoria Nyanza, almost under the equator, is another snow-capped mountain, Kilimanjaro, 18,700 feet high, the highest mountain in Africa, and the mountains of Maasai land, a continuation of the Abyssinian mountains. Another range, apparently an offshoot of the long range from the Red Sea, forms a wall 100 miles long, and ten thousand feet high on the east of lake nyasa separating the waters of that lake from the indian ocean this range continues to the zambezi south of this river the mountains rise eight thousand to ten thousand feet in height in cape colony are several ranges of mountains the highest peak is compass berg eight thousand five hundred feet in the eastern center of Africa, in the equatorial region, is an elevated plateau in which is the lake region. Then there is a sudden rise and a gradual descent towards the Atlantic. There are few continuous ranges of mountains on the western coast, but at Cameroon there is a cluster of mountains reaching an elevation of 13,100 feet. And south of Morocco, some of the peaks of the Atlas Mountains reach an elevation of 12,000 to 13,000 feet, but they have little, if any, influence on the rainfall or temperature of the country. It will be seen from this statement that eastern Africa has high mountain ranges rising into an elevated plateau, that the land in equatorial Africa gradually descends toward the west and northwest until within one or two hundred miles of the Atlantic Ocean when the descent is rapid to the low and unhealthy coastlands. Through equatorial Africa runs the Congo, the land north of the Congo gradually rising to an elevation of about 2,000 feet, and then descending to 1,200 feet at Lake Chad. 
south of the congo the land rises to an elevation of three thousand feet and retains this elevation far south into the portuguese territory careful computations have been made to ascertain the average elevation of the continent the mean of the most careful estimates is a little over two thousand feet the interior is therefore elevated above the miasmic influences of the coast but exactly what effect this elevation has upon the temperature can only be ascertained after careful investigation and a series of observations north of guinea and senegambia the coast is less unhealthy but as the desert of sahara extends to the ocean the country is of little value and is therefore left to the native tribes unclaimed by europeans in the international scientific series it is stated that there are in africa ten active volcanoes four on the west coast and six on the east but i have not found any corroboration of this report and think it very doubtful if there are any volcanoes now in eruption the Kilimanjaro and Cameroon were formerly active volcanoes, for the craters still exist. In the south, the diamond fields are of volcanic ash formation. Equatorial Africa The lake region of Africa stretches from the headwaters of the Upper Nile, 3 degrees south, to the waters of the Zambezi, 15 degrees south, a lake region unequaled, in extent and volume of water except by our lakes here is the victoria nyanza the queen of inland seas four thousand feet above the sea level and a long series of lakes great and small at equal elevation the more striking are bangviolo to the southwest the grave of livingstone and nyasa on the southeast in their depths the Nile, the Congo River, and the Shire, the main branch of the Zambezi, have their source. The great belt of equatorial Africa, situated between the 15th parallel of north latitude and the 15th parallel of south latitude, has continuous rains, is everywhere well watered, and has a rich and fertile soil. Some portions are thickly populated, and it is capable of sustaining a dense population. North and south of this belt there are two other belts of nearly equal width. In each of these belts there are wet and dry seasons, with abundant rain for the crops. The heaviest rainfall in the north belt is in June, while in the south belt it is in December. The rainfall gradually grows less toward the north, and also toward the south, until it ceases in the desert of Sahara on the north, and in the desert of Kalahari on the south. On the edge of these deserts are Lake Chad on the north, and Lake Ngami on the south. North of the desert of Sahara, and south of the desert of Kalahari, there is an abundant rainfall, a healthy climate, and fertile soil. Morocco, Algiers, and Tripoli on the Mediterranean are in the north region, and Zululand, the Orange Free State, and Cape Colony in the corresponding region of the south. That portion of Africa north of the equator is three or four times greater than that south, and the Sahara Desert and Lake Chad are several times greater than the Kalahari Desert and Lake Ngami. 
the Sahara Desert, the waterless ocean three times as large as the Mediterranean, extends from the Atlantic Ocean to the Red Sea, broken only by the narrow valley of the Nile. It is interspersed with oases, with the valleys of many dry streams, and with some mountains eight thousand feet. It has the hottest climate in the world. Travelers tell us that in Upper Egypt and Nubia eggs may be baked in the hot sands, that the soil is like fire and the wind like a flame, that in other parts of the desert the sand on the rocks is sometimes heated to two hundred degrees in the daytime, while in the following night the thermometer falls below freezing point. In crossing the desert the traveler will hardly need a guide, for the road is too clearly marked by the bones and skeletons that point the way. Lake Chad receives the drainage of a considerable area of country. In the dry season it has no outlet, and is then about the size of Lake Erie. In the wet season it is said to be five times as large. Its level rises by twenty or thirty feet until it overflows into the desert of Sahara, forming a stream which runs northward for several hundred miles, and is finally lost in a great depressed plain. In the southern part of Africa, the level of Lake Ngami rises and falls in a similar manner. Through the great equatorial belt runs the Congo, one of the wonderful rivers of the world. The more we know of this river and its tributaries, the more we are impressed by its greatness and importance. Its principal source is in the mountain range which separates Lake Nyasa from Lake Tanganyika, between 300 and 400 miles west of the Indian Ocean. Thence it runs southerly through Lake Banguiolo. On leaving this lake, it takes a northwest course, running from 12 degrees south latitude to 2 degrees north latitude, thence running southwesterly to the ocean nearly 3,000 miles. The river Sankuru, its principal tributary, empties into the Congo some distance above Stanley Pool on the south. The mouths of the Sankuru were discovered by Stanley, who was struck by the size and beauty of the river, and by the lakes which probably connect it by a second outlet with the Congo. But he little realized the magnitude of the river. Even before the journey of Stanley, Portuguese explorers had crossed several large streams far to the south of the Congo, the Kuango, the Kasai, and the Lomami, and explored them for several hundred miles, but were unable to follow them to their mouths. In 1885 and 1886, Wisman and the Belgian explorers sailed up the Sankuru to the streams discovered by the Portuguese. The next largest branch is the Obangi, now called Obangiwela, which flows into the Congo on the westerly side of the continent, a little south of the equator. An expedition organized by the Congo Free State steamed up this river in the winter of 1887 and 1888, and solved the problem so long discussed of the outlet of the Wella. The expedition left the Congo in the steamer en avant, October 26, 1887. It passed several rapids and steamed at 21 degrees 55 feet east longitude when it was stopped by the en avant running on a rock 
and the opposition of hostile natives. Here it was only sixty-six miles from the westernmost point on the Wella reached by Junker, and in the same latitude, each stream running in the same direction, leaving no room to doubt that the two waters unite. The little Kibali, which rises a little to the west of Wadalai in the mountains of Sudan, is the initial branch of this river, which bears successively the name of Kibali, Wella, and Doru, and empties into the Congo under the name of Obangi, after a course of 1,500 miles. The discharge of water from the Congo is only a little less than that from the Amazon, and is said to be three times as great as the discharge from the Mississippi. Grenfell, the English missionary and traveller, says there is no part of the Congo basin more than one hundred miles from navigable water. What the railroad does for America, the steamboat will do for the Congo Free State on its seventy-two hundred miles of navigable water. End of section one. Recording by M. J. Frank, Portland, Oregon.